Welcome to the ECU Baptist Church Teaching Podcast. We're teaching through a series here on Wednesday nights through the book of Ephesians to help us implement strategies and concepts to really further the kingdom through our local church. We hope you'll enjoy. Uh, Some perimeters and parameters of what it means or what it may look like to be the church, right? So we're, we're, we're starting to put up these exterior walls so you can see what the church looks like. And what it you know what it means to be the church, but that that's not enough in and of itself, right? Can you build a house with just exterior walls? If you say yes, your house will not stand like at all, right? Because it can't. It, it has to have infrastructure, and it has to be built on a solid foundation. And so I've really been uh, thinking to myself and kind of praying on how can I. How can I build up a premise of what it means not only to witness to others, but like why, right? And obviously beyond, not to, to, to oversimplify, but with Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior. But again, you have to have infrastructure. That's where this all kind of came with the beach. But uh, if you don't have infrastructure, you're set up for failure, right? When hard times do come, and inevitably... Everybody realizes hard times come, right? If not, I want to see your your blueprint for how you're doing life so that I can be more like you because my life is full of hard times, right? And maybe you're the same way. You say, yeah, I can share with somebody and I can be strengthened up. But at the end of the day, ultimately the, the best you to witness to someone is the you that takes care of yourself, right? It's the you that is the healthiest you you can possibly be. And uh, so in order to do that, I've been thinking to myself, uh, how can we use this, this material and this infrastructure that, that, that Nahum has provided for us, but build it around the Bible? Because I don't know if you guys have... Nahum is N-A-M-B, it's North American Mission Board, in case you were trying to figure that one. I'm not talking about Vietnam. Okay, Nahum, N-A-M-B. Uh, but I've really been thinking, I, I don't know if you figured this out, I really like to teach the Bible. I don't know if y'all have gathered that, right? So I like really like the Bible. Uh, and I feel like it's a good place to build anything around. And so uh, if, you're, if you're wanting to build something around the Bible, uh, if you're really looking for one of the guys who, who, who has good material in order to do that, I figure maybe we need to check out this guy Paul because he's pretty smart. Anybody familiar with the Apostle Paul? Right, right now we're seeing him in Acts, and he's still like he's kind of just become a not bad guy, but he's still Saul right now, okay? But we still have uh, Saul who is kind of cocky, right? And Saul who's kind of arrogant, and Saul who is a little quick to 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 start a beef. Anybody ever find yourself in that situation where like you're quick to conflict? Don't raise your hand, okay? Just uh, like self-assess on that one. Uh, but what is, is, is great is that, that Paul, as he matures and he grows and his faith increases, and there's this thing called age. Anybody familiar with age? That thing is awesome. So aging is not a bad thing. Y'all realize that, right? It's a gift from God. I'm not being funny, but gray hairs are one of the greatest gifts from God that you could ever have. Why? Because it shows that God has provided you with time and that God has provided you with care. 
Do what? I will say goodbye. My beard is starting to gray more and more. I'm, I'm still a young whippersnapper at 32, but uh, if I had uh, hair on my head, it would likely be graying out really quickly as well. Uh, but, you know, as we're kind of looking through the Bible and we're building uh, a foundation of what it means to be the church, uh, I thought to myself, what better place to go in Scripture? What better resource to utilize in Scripture than to teach through the book of Ephesians? And I know what you're thinking. Why the book of Ephesians? And we'll get to that. And I want to highlight some of that to you. But I I mean, you guys have probably figured it out. I really like to teach the Bible and I really like to do it book by book. Right? I really like to do it and not pull verses out of context. I like to teach through the Bible. Right? Because I can take a single verse here and there and make it say whatever I want it to say. Right? But to take the Bible as it is written, as it was supplied to us for the purposes that it was provided for us, you can't... It's a lot harder to, to put man on that. Does that make sense? It's a whole lot harder to, to, to twist and, and misconstrue that when you teach the Bible verse at a time, word at a time, and, and really go through it. Uh, so tonight, with you guys, I'm going to go ahead and read them on the, on the front end. Uh, I know you're going to laugh, but I'm going to teach us two verses of the Bible tonight. Is that okay with you guys? I know what you're thinking. We might get out of here early. Don't don't think that. Don't say that. Yours, I, no, I, the, old, the old time last week was the 10 minutes I gave you the week before. Uh, but no, really, I want to, to look at something with you guys really quick. And... Uh, I want to help build on something that I've told you before, but you can kind of see it a little deeper. Uh, So let me read these first two verses of the book of Ephesians for you. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, interesting fact, some some original manuscripts they believe may not have included right here where yours says to the saints who are in Ephesus, It may have actually just indicated the entire region, which means it was made, the letter was intended to go from church to church. And what that particular church who received this letter would do was actually right here say to the saints who are in Eastview Baptist Church, to the saints who are in First Baptist Church, right? Uh, So my the 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 root trend the root manuscripts that I believe in and that I empathize with, they do say uh, to the saints or the believers who are in Ephesus. So I'm going to teach us that way, but I just want to include that little bit of information for you so that you understand there are different ways to interpret even just the beginning greeting here in the book of Ephesus. And one of my favorite teachers of all time, I don't think I'm, I'm not like secretive about this. I love Chuck Smith. There was a guy named Chuck Smith. He started uh, what is... He didn't start. He really brought to prominence what is called Calvary Chapel. Uh, They're a group of churches or a a collection of churches from the West Coast who were really heavily involved uh, in what is known as from the late 60s, early 70s called the Jesus People Movement. And who knows, maybe some of you who are sitting here right now are here because you were a part of the Jesus People movement, right? Uh, and so the way that the Jesus People movement worked is that they brought Jesus into every aspect of their lives. There would be things 
as simple as they would have these, these they call them coffee shops. And these coffee shops were places where they pass out tracts. They would have these Jesus conversations. They would either do it completely free or at as low cost as possible. And the churches would actually would, would budget for this and, and help run these things because it was a witnessing tool to bring people into the gospel who wouldn't necessarily otherwise come to the gospel. And there was a, a movie uh, last year, pretty recent, called Jesus Revolution. It really goes to show... Uh, some of the background of the Jesus People movement more heavily focused on the life of uh, Pastor Greg Laurie, who was a student of Chuck Smith. Uh, the best. Uh, so Chuck Smith would have passed away like way before I was old enough to understand any of what was going on. He, I think he passed around uh, a little bit after 2000, so I would have been nine to Yeah, maybe I was a little kid at that point in time, so. Uh, I never obviously got to witness or hear live Chuck Smith, but I really love his teaching. I love the simplicity. He would take complex themes and break it down in a way that anybody could understand and relate to. And if you want to see revival within the church, I think that's a really good starting point, right? Is this thing is I'm, this thing's pretty complex, right? This Bible that I'm holding here in my hand. It, on the surface, mine might look like some leather and some paper. Right? But what it took to get this here, the amount of tears, blood, everything that was shed to get this right here, not just this physical copy, but for me personally to have a copy in my hands, it took a lot, right? Uh, and so I think that it is, uh, is absolutely vital to be able to take these very complex ideas and these very complex teachings and make them uh, accessible for people of, of any education or intellect or of any background, any ethnicity, that together we are way stronger than we are individually, any of us, right? So the more that we can use this rather than to divide, to divide us, the more that we can use this to bring us together, the better off we are. And I think the only way that this country will see revival once again, to see a spirit of revival, calls for a spirit of repentance. Right? Jesus' very first teaching, spoiler alert, uh, around Christmas we're going to start teaching through the book of Mark. Right? And Jesus' very first teaching is to repent because the kingdom of God is near. And... You get people who get, get like end times crazy and that kind of thing. But let me tell you, spoiler alert, every single day we're a day closer than we were the day before to the end of time. And I, I truly believe that we have been living in the end times since the moment that Jesus left the earth. Okay, So uh, just kind of keep building on the momentum that Jesus set forth and that every so many years we've been lucky to kind of just catch an a air of, 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 of revival. And the only way that that's going to happen is truly for us to repent, to confess our sins, to distance ourselves from the former way of doing life, and to move toward God. That's literally what repentance means, is to turn back to God. And what you have to understand is that all of us uh, were built... I mean, go look... The first three books, the first three chapters, rather, of the Bible. If you want to understand the, the, the story of humanity 
and why we needed Jesus go no further than the first three books, the first three chapters, rather, of the Bible. And so it takes us, literally it takes us three chapters to ruin the perfection that God made. And then you get about four-fifths of this thing called the Bible, right? For us to get back to Jesus, who is our true Adam, right? Where Adam was the firstborn man, we have true Adam, or we have a, a, a true connection to God through the life, death, burial, resurrection, and can't forget the ascension of Jesus Christ. Uh, so why the book of Ephesians? I get it, guys. I get it. And we're going to get to that. But here we are to the saints who are in Ephesus. And again, you could read yourself into this here and say to the church of Eastview, to the church of whoever it may be, because this book is a, it's called a circular book. In other words, it was made to circulate. And what better place to go than today, right now, in this place to circulate this book? Uh, so it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, two verses of Scripture. I told y'all, but it's not that simple. <laughs> right? It never is. Uh, so again, we're, we're, we're talking about why to study the book of Ephesians. And really, it starts with the life of of Paul, the world, the time in which Paul lived, and believe it or not, 2,000 years later, how similar the world that we live in truly is. So really the story of Paul, where it will be applicable to us here in our teaching through the book of, of uh, Ephesians, uh, started at Acts chapter 17. You know, two verses can't be that simple. We have to look at the context of why we have those two verses. So back in Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul and Silas go and are actually uh, they're housed by a guy named Jason. And Jason was a true brother in the faith. He houses them at a time when they're being oppressed, they're being searched for. And so let me read this for you really quick. Uh, it's chapter 17 verse 2 and it says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, on, the th on three Sabbath days he reasoned, with them from the Scriptures. So remember, when Paul goes into a place, when he goes into an area, what is the first place he goes? Temple, synagogue. And he preaches. Uh, so we see here that he goes for three Sabbaths. So in other words, for three Saturdays, Sundays, whatever you want to consider your Sabbath, he goes for three different, so three weeks continually, and begins to preach uh, the Gospel or preach the Scriptures here, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus who I am proclaimed to you is the Christ. Remember this same Paul who would have formerly went into churches, busted them, these house churches, for even mentioning the name of Christ. And now here he is in the church, in the synagogue, in the temple, proclaiming to the highest authority, to the Sanhedrin, to whoever would listen, that Christ Jesus is the Lord and Savior. He was killed and He did rise. And so he says, this Jesus who I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So in other words, just multitudes of women begin to follow these teachers. But the Jews were jealous 
And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. So hold on for a second, guys. Tell me, that don't sound like today. These people are coming in, they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not popular because to to follow Jesus, remember we just talked about how to have revival is to, to repent. So, what you're not seeing here is Paul would have followed this with a message, of course, of repentance. You're going to have to turn from your sin. You're going to have to turn from this legalism that we've practiced and that we thought was the truth. And it was the truth of the old covenant, but this has been brought up to a new covenant, which is the blood, right? The life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not forget the ascension. And so... They're having to flee and hide in these house churches, right? So they go into the big church. They go into the the public square, so to speak. Proclaim the gospel. And then this will sound familiar because Jesus had to do this often. Then they have to retreat back to the house churches. And I'm afraid, guys, if we keep letting what's happening happen, this is going to be the same model for our church. Not our church as in this individual church, but the church in America. We're going we're gonna to let the world take over to a point in time where we have to run into the public square, yell that Jesus Christ is King, and then take it back to the house church before we get flogged and killed. And no, I don't think I'm being extreme in saying this. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority, shouting... These men... Wait a minute, guys. Let me just stop for a second. You want the greatest compliment that you could ever be given? Watch this one. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Remember, Jesus' message was that of an upside down kingdom. The persecutors come into this place and go... Man, these guys are bringing an upside-down world. Here's my question to you right now, guys. So, hypothetically speaking, not if, but when Christianity becomes illegal, will there be enough evidence in your life to prosecute you? In other words, will there be enough evidence that says you truly do follow Jesus Christ that when they drag you into the public square because you believe in Jesus Christ, is there going to be enough evidence for them to actually convict you? And if that one don't tear you apart to the core, then your answer is no. Just, I mean, kind of blunt. I have to be honest about this. And at the pace we're going, this could very well be a very real future for us, guys. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. Very important. If you live in this time, guys, if you're a good little Jew, who is your God? You better not say Yahweh God in public. When them Roman boys are around, you better say Caesar is your God. 
So these guys who claim to be this Jewish high authority come in like good little submissives and come into this situation and say, and these guys don't bow to Caesar. These guys have another God. They say that Jesus is their way to heaven. They say that Jesus is the God of their lives. Jesus is the Savior of their lives. You ever heard of, do as I say, not as I do? And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. (gasps) They don't bow to Caesar? In other words, the emperor is not their God? These are supposed to be the same Jews who God the Father is the God of their lives, but they are so submitted, they are so submissive to their own faith, that they come here in the public circle and they say, and they don't believe in Caesar. Not even that they don't believe in Yahweh, God the Father. They're not bowing to Caesar. It's the charge they let be brought against them. So these are the men and women who have turned the world upside down. And your Bible will continue and it will take us uh, really to... to uh, chapter 18 picks up at verse 24. Uh, there's a guy named Apollos, and he is a, uh, a, co, uh, a, a co-pastor, so to speak, with Paul. Uh, trains under Paul and then uh, becomes very well-versed. Uh, some people say that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. There was an old train of thought that said that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and I will show you 100% definitively why we know Paul did not write the book of Hebrews, but we'll get to that in due time. So we see there's a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, and he comes to Ephesus. Alexandria, y'all have any idea where this is? Not in Jerusalem land, which means what is Apollos? He's Greek, right? Or Gentile. So Paul was born in Tarsus, which is again, remember, not, not Jewish land, but he comes and trains under a guy named Gamaliel. Gamaliel is like, the teacher of the teachers of that day. So when you think of, of, of Gamaliel, I know that doesn't click with you, but like, so Gamaliel was like a Billy Graham of his day, right? He was a great teacher who taught a lot, of, a lot more teachers to go and teach the Jewish law. And so that's who Paul actually uh, trains under, or, or studies under. It's so picking up in uh, verse 1 of chapter 19. Let me read these 10 verses for you. And it happened that while Apollos was... At Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to, you see it here, Ephesus. So right here, chapter 19, this is actually where Paul will plant the church at... Come on guys, I know there's not many of y'all, but you've got to be lively. Ephesus, right? So the church that we're going to be studying the book of is planted right here in chapter 19. And there he found some disciples... And he said to them, in other words, he went and found scattered believers in an area that really needed to to unify and become a... Yeah, y'all are really at it. Church, you got it, right? We're there together. We're, we're, We're getting this. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? All right, so we got a problem, guys. Follow this. We got in a real big hurry to make converts, right? And get people to raise their hand, walk down an aisle so we could count them on the numbers. 
Why do I say that? Because the SBC was very guilty of this for a long time, guys. In other words, we, we preached these bold sermons and got people to come to the altar, but we didn't really care to follow up and make sure that they were, were, were learning how to do their lives under Jesus, right? That we turned it into just a, a recital of a, of, a, of a prayer and not about changing a life to follow Jesus. Y'all understand that's the actual purpose of, of becoming a Christian, right? Is to follow Jesus. Not to make a one-time proclamation and then sit on your hands and go, up. Oh, there's going to be a hoot and a toot one day and I'm going to heaven, right? No, it's about going and making more disciples who, you guessed it, make disciples. And so they asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. All right, they're disciples, they're followers of Jesus, but they've never heard of the three-part God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They've never heard this. Which means, what does, what does this mean, guys? It means there wasn't good follow-up when these guys became believers. But hey, they're out here in Ephesus, right? And they're like, oh, well, maybe we'll figure this out one day. Luckily, we have a guy like Paul that comes along and starts to teach them this important thing called doctrine. Y'all ever heard that word? What is doctrine? It means behind what we say we believe, there has to be an actual belief system. Y'all understand that, right? And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. What you have to understand is John's baptism is John the Baptist. And John's baptism is not even really John's baptism. Okay? This baptism, immersion baptism that we see, this was something that was done in a, in a ceremonial process that Jesus, when Jesus is baptized, claims this for the kingdom. Right? This is when it goes from taking our sins under the water and we come above the water. It's a visual sign. So when we confess with our mouths, that's a verbalization that something's occurred in our heart. So y'all see in this, right? This is, how, this is how it works. There's a change in your heart then a verbalization with your mouth, and then there's a physical sign where you go under the water and you're raised to new life with Christ Jesus. What, what you need to understand is that there are what are called deathbed salvations. In other words, there are people, and is it fair? No. But is anything in life fair? No. They get to live a wicked life. I've got to lead someone this way to Christ Jesus. They will live wicked lives but in those dying moments, in those last moments of life, they see, literally, they see the light. And when I say the light, I mean Jesus. And they commit their lives in those dying moments to baptism. And where legalism, and believe it or not, this is kind of how the SBC comes to, come to be, is you had certain uh, believers, uh, Baptist believers, who believed, like, you also had to be baptized, water baptized, or you didn't go to heaven. Alright, this is getting us really back toward this thing called legalism, right? That the Jewish faith comes from. But what Paul is saying is that if you're living life and you're saying that you're a believer, there needs to be signs that you believe. What the book of Ephesians is going to do is teach us how to live a life that's full of signs that we believe what we say we believe. In other words, that when hypothetically, when Christianity becomes illegal, there will be enough evidence to support the fact that you really do believe 
what you say in private that you say you believe. In, in, in another, said another way, guys, we're going to learn how to have a public faith. Because it's about time that we stop being quiet about loving Jesus. Amen? And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. In other words, here's our physical sign. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that is Jesus. Could you imagine John when he's standing in the shores or even maybe in the waters here in the Jordan, and there comes Jesus, and he's like, me next? John's like, I knew you were coming one day. Could you imagine that moment? And here's the thing. John was made for that. How do we know that John is made for that? Because in the womb, John leaps inside his mother's womb just being in the presence of Jesus. In other words, Jesus was declaring the gospel when he was in the womb. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Lord Jesus. This is why this Sunday, this past Sunday, I don't know if you, if you were here, you got to see a little boy walks forward and he makes that public declaration of faith to say, I've, in, I've invited Jesus Christ to live in my heart and to be my Savior. Right? And that's why this Sunday, we're going to baptize this little boy. We're going to let him, we're going to help him. We're going to be his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's going to go forward up there, right behind that screen. And he's going to make a very public declaration, not just with his words, but with his actions that he believes what he says he believes And you're all adults. I'm an adult. Are you living a life that has evidence that you believe? If not, oh, I shouldn't say this. I'd say plenty of these things. If not, it's about time you shut up and you man up. Amen? And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. That might not happen for you. It might. But it might not happen for you. Either way, it's fine. It's about having that physical evidence to say, I really believe in what I say I believe. So how does this tongues thing work? How does this prophecy thing work? All right, we all have the same kind of brains. Y'all understand that, right? Ray might be made to be a doctor. Greg might not. Y'all, y'all, y'all see that, right? We all have different giftings. Okay, now that we've addressed the elephant in the room and we're back together again. So all that, we're seeing, Right? what it looks like to be a follower of Christ Jesus. And that brings us back, as I kind of wrap us up tonight, uh, to close in what was the longest introduction. You're welcome. Uh, to two verses uh, in, a, in a book of the Bible. Uh, and I am going to be recording this as we teach through this, because I think it'll be something that is very good for us to be able to share and to look back on in the future as we continue to grow, because I truly believe if we continue to be faithful to God here, we're going to continue to grow. Y'all understand that, right? But only if we're faithful to God. Anybody ever grew like a garden or grew a tree in their yard? All right. 
What do you have to if Jessica if Jessica plants it, it dies. Uh, but if you've ever planted this garden, what do you have to do? You have to water it. You have to maintain it, right? There's work required. To, to have a garden, you have to be a gardener, right? Y'all, y'all get that, right? To, to, to have a tree, you have to be a treer, whatever they call those, an arborist, I think. is. is believe it or not, I think you can Google that one. I think I got that one right, right? You have to be an arborist. But it really brings us to, to this. Let me give you some interesting facts tonight. And this is how I'm going to wrap this up and we're going to pray. Oh, matter of fact, let me. I'm going to give you more than interesting. I'm going to give you interesting facts, but then I'm also I forgot. I'm going to show you how we know that that Paul didn't write the Book of Hebrews. So I'll give you that, and that'll be our kind of uh, our, our uh, well, that'll be our controversial end for tonight. So according to C. L. Mitten, twenty six point five percent of the wording in Colossians appears in the Book of Ephesians. All right. So what does this mean? It means about a quarter of it is, is similar in nature of the doctrine that's taught, words that are used. So in other words, it's a pretty good idea to read the book of Colossians in tandem or in a pair with the book of Ephesians. So why am I saying that? Y'all are going to start getting homework. Not tonight. I'm going to warn you that you get homework before you get homework. Because that's what a good teacher does, right? A good teacher doesn't just say you get homework and here's homework. He's like, man, I don't like you. You're not going to like me when I give it to you, but at least you can like me a little more, okay? Uh, What made this a difficult region to minister to? All right, first consider the size of Ephesus. So we have geographically uh, an area about the size of Manhattan or New York City, but it's also as populous as Manhattan, New York City, because it's like a port city, right? So a lot of trade comes through, a lot of commerce comes through. So geographically, it's a big place. But second, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on in Ephesus. So if the size alone is not enough to overwhelm, uh, this was one of the most predominant areas of a practice called paganism. What does this mean? It means they'll worship like anything. Right? Just for the benefit of worshiping something, they're cool with it. And one of the biggest points of, of worship, there's two big ones, but one of the biggest ones is this thing called uh, an, an emperor cult, or we saw it back in our verse seven or chapter 17 of Acts, is that they do this really cool thing, not really, where they say that the emperor, so Caesar is our God. That's called an emperor cult. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to... Oh, I could go really controversial. I'm not going to do that. But just know that people today still turn leader figures into a god of sorts in their lives. Okay? Understand that. And we'll move on. <laughs> it's a massive area. If you can't figure that one out, ask me after service and I'll let it be controversial. Just me and you. Right? Uh, it has one of the biggest amphitheaters of its time. There is literally a 25,000 person amphitheater. Why do they have this big amphitheater? Y'all remember these things called gladiator? Right? These coliseums where they built these big things and then they just, just watch people fight to the death. And we go, oh, that would never happen today. You're watching the MMA fight. All right, that's gladiators without the lance. I just need you to understand that. It does still happen today. We still have a heart 
that is wicked and prone to violence. And we cheer it on. I've done it. Third, there is this thing called the Temple of Artemis or the Statue of Diana. She was a like a like a fertility god, right? That again, pagan worship. They will idolize anything. Uh, and it was actually one of the original uh, seven wonders of the world. Only a little bit of it still remains today. Why? Because things of this world that are made by man are they're built to be knocked down until we put God at the center of our lives. All right. Let me give you your controversy and then we'll pray. How do we know that Paul didn't write the book of Hebrews? It's actually pretty simple. You ready for this? You don't have to go past verse 7. So Romans 1-7, hold on to this. Notice I'm going to list out 13 books, okay? Romans 1-7, 1 Corinthians 1-3. I can send you these notes if you'd like them. 2 Corinthians 1-3, Galatians 1-3, Ephesians 1-2. Uh, Philippians 1-2, Colossians 1-2, 1 Thessalonians 1-1, 1, 1, 2 Thessalonians 1-2, Titus 1-4, uh, Philemon verse 3. Only one chapter there. All of these have this beautiful introduction that we just read in verse 2. This said, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is literally the introduction that's used, other than two examples, I'm going to give you those two, in every single known, credited letter of Paul. In other words, remember we've looked at this confidence and this cockiness of Paul? When Paul writes you a letter, he likes to say, hey man, this letter's from me. It's just like when that spam call comes and it says, your car's extended warranty, right? That's how Paul starts his letters, except in two cases, and it is literally to his spiritual son, a guy named Timothy, and Timothy gets a little more than the other guys. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Contemporary writers of the time, such as Clement, say that Paul starts his letters this way. So what's different? Um... Go and read the entire book of Hebrews. You know what you won't find? Grace and peace to you. It's me, Paul. If a guy starts every letter and says, Hey guys, grace and peace to you. From God, our Father. From Jesus Christ. It's me, Paul. If all the other ones start that way, and one of them doesn't start that way, we got a pretty good case to say... One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong, right? So there's our have it or don't have it. You know, if you still think Paul wrote it and you just be wrong, that's okay, right? We're all entitled to our opinions. Uh, and now, if you would like to be nerdy with me any day, um, Tuesday through Thursday, my office is open, and I would love to nerd out with you about why Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, or most likely, Luke, or the actual author of Hebrews. Again, if you'd like to be nerdy, come and be nerdy with me. That's my controversy for tonight. You're welcome. You can go home and, and, and nurse that one. Uh, but let me pray for us. 
Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so thankful, Lord, that we get to come, Lord, and just to, to gather in your word, God, to just celebrate your word, to celebrate the life of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us, God. I just pray that tonight, Lord, that we would take from this, God, the fact that we have to have our evidence to prove that we believe what we say we believe, God. And I just pray that tonight, Lord, you would use us. You would allow us to take this message, God. You would allow us to take this evidence into our communities, into our homes, into our workplaces, God, to just spread your name and to spread the gospel message. In your heavenly glorious name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love y'all. Y'all have a